Hello, my name is Richard Doty. I'm a former intelligence officer with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Today's presentation is on a rare, very remote location in the Indian Ocean, Kerguelen Island. Some pronounce it Kerguelen. It's probably one of the most remote islands in the world. Located in the southern Indian Ocean, 960 miles north of Antarctica, the islands are a French possession inhabited by soldiers, scientists, engineers, and researchers year-round. There's only about a hundred at a time on the island. There are no airports. All travel to the island is by ship. Once every nine months, the ship visits the island, bringing scientists, replacement personnel, and supplies. The island contains a satellite tracking station owned by the French government and a classified space surveillance system. Now the classified space surveillance system is actually owned by the French government, but other countries utilize the product of that surveillance system. One country being the United States. The closest support base for emergencies is Perth, Australia, 2,700 miles to the east. The U.S. Navy makes frequent patrols of the area based on an agreement with the French government. On November 10, 1981, Pine Gap Satellite Surveillance Tracking Station near Alice Springs, Australia, began tracking space objects directly southwest of Perth, Australia. Uh, several additional objects were observed coming into the Earth's atmosphere. Pine Gap could not positively identify the objects or the exact number fearing that the incoming objects could be hostile launched missiles. The Australian government activated the national defense system. Several Australian Air Force Mirage three jets were launched to intercept the incoming objects. Now this island, as I said earlier, is the most remote island in the world. It's so far away from all land masses, 960 miles north of Antarctica. It's in the middle of the Indian Ocean, far from any land masses. The only support, as we said earlier, was from Australia, and that's 2,700 miles away. So these objects coming in from Earth's atmosphere were, were being tracked by the radar, but not knowing that radar could not detect exactly where these missiles were coming. Australia requested assistance from the United States Navy ships operating in the area. A U.S. Navy ship and a U.S. Navy submarine on a classified mission in the southern Indian Oceans responded. There's no ship routes in this area. All the shipping lanes are far north of Ker Kerguelen Island, uh, north even of Australia. So there's no ships that frequent this area. But this area is used as a training base or training area for the United States Navy. It's remote and the United States Navy and other uh, friendly countries' navies can conduct operations down in the Indian Ocean with, in secrecy. They wouldn't have to worry about any ships coming into the area. There's no shipping lanes there. Uh, so they can do about anything they want down there. At this particular time of the year, in November, the United States Navy was conducting a very secret operation down there. Now, I'm not gonna disclose what that operation was, but it involved the Navy ships and Navy submarines. And again, this is in 1981 uh, during the Cold War era. 
you just imagine what type of training the United States Navy needed to keep up on the Russian or the Soviet or the, even the Chinese and Navy. So they conducted the exercises in total secrecy, which they could do in this remote area of the Indian Ocean. Finally, Australian jets identified three large UFOs flying at 23,000 feet. The UFOs were flying south towards Antarctica. So they were flying away from Australia towards Antarctica. The Australian jets were unable to keep up with the UFOs. One of the UFOs flew extremely low and was observed by an Australian fishing vessel west of Perth. The fishing vessel sent out a mayday, which was a duress call to the Australian Navy or Coast Guard after the UFO submerged directly next to their vessel. Again, this UFO flying near this Australian fishing vessel submerged, landed in the ocean, scaring the fishing vessel, not knowing exactly what this object was, the commander or the, or the, or the pilot of the fishing vessel immediately notified the Australian government for assistance. Now, this fishing vessel was some hundreds of miles away from the coast of Australia, so it would have taken the Australian Navy or the Australian Coast Guard some time to get out there to that fishing vessel. The Australian jets had to turn back to the base because of fuel shortage. There wasn't any air fueling uh, planes available at that time uh, from the Australian Air Force. None of the jets could positively identify the UFOs, but ground control radar at Pine Gap counted six UFOs flying directly southwest of Australia. Now, Pine Gap is in a central portion of Australia. It's used by the Australian government, and it's also used by the National Security Administration, which is the NSA, the American NSA, uh, for deep tracking of space objects. And this is 1981, so they were keeping track of what was coming into our atmosphere. A U.S. Navy ship arrived in the area of the fishing vessel, and assistance was rendered. The Navy ship immediately started searching for this submerged UFO. The Australian Coast Guard controlled center received a radio call from the French settlement on Kerguelen Island. The French military reported that a large object had landed in the water near the island. Now, this is the second object. The fishing vessel is quite a distance from Kerguelen Island. So one UFO landed in the ocean near the fishing vessel, which is several hundred miles west of Australia, Perth, Australia. And the second object landed near Kerguelen Island, which is 2,700 miles southwest of Australia. The French settlement requested assistance. Now, again, Kerguelen Island is a great distance from Australia. Ships would have taken probably a day or two to get there. Airplanes couldn't get there without refueling. Kerguelen Island was just too far for a jet to fly. And the only assistance would come from a surface ship. A U.S. Navy submarine believed to be the USS Hammerhead was dispatched to the island. However, it would take the submarine approximately 12 hours to get there. It was in the southern Indian Ocean, but submarines can't travel as fast 
as surface ships for obvious reason. They're under the ocean, they're 700 feet under, there's a resistance from the water, so they can't travel at the 30 knots that a surface ship could travel. Submarines can travel between 12 and 14 knots at a time. The Kerguelen settlement updated the Australian Coast Guard on the object. It resurfaced and was flying north of the port. A second UFO was observed near the port, which flew to a land spot on the island. Now, there's one port uh, on Kerguelen Island, and that port is where a ships could come into. However, they can't actually dock at the port. The, the port is too shallow. So they have to park outside the uh, port and uh, a small ships would have to ferry in passengers. But this particular UFO landed exactly in that port area and then resurfaced and flew to a land spot north of the port or the, uh, the containment facility on the island. The French settlement soldiers confronted the UFO. Now, the island contained approximately 50 French soldiers. The French soldiers were responsible for the security law enforcement of the island. Again, there were approximately 100 scientists and other research personnel that are on that island year-round. But the French government has had this island since the 1950s and used it as, again, as a satellite tracking and as a research uh, island. Now, south of Kerguelen Island is, uh, is another island called Heard Island. Uh, although it's not inhabited, there's research being done on that island uh, from the 1950s on. Even today, in the 2000s, uh, there's research, and develop, uh, research uh, going on down there. The French settlement soldiers confronted the UFO. Two occupants of the UFO exited the craft and attempted to make contact with the soldiers. The soldiers did not feel the occupants were hostile, but there was a language barrier. The soldiers and eventually two scientists attempted to make voice contact in French, English, and German. There was some sort of a threat that the soldiers felt, even though these two occupants of this UFO didn't have a weapon system or didn't make a hostile move towards him. The French soldiers who were interviewed later felt threatened by the two occupants' presence. So the soldiers and the scientists withdrew to a safe building uh, hundreds of feet away. The occupants were described as four feet tall, thin built, wearing tight fitting silver suits, a face mask with a breathing tube connected to a tank in the back of their uniform. The entities began to move something large from the craft to the port area next to the bay. It appeared to be some sort of a pump. None of the settlement personnel attempted to interfere with the entities. Now, this happened in the daytime, in light, and there were several, uh, we're talking 10 to 12, island personnel that were watching this happen, watching these two extraterrestrials move something from their craft to, the, uh, to near the ocean. It appeared to be the pump. 
The reasoning was that the scientists thought was that the occupants needed ocean water. They needed water for some particular reason. So they were pumping water from the sea into this container and eventually into their spaceship. November 11th, the U.S. submarine arrived in the port area. The French settlement communicated with the submarine through a radio. They requested assistance. The UFO and its occupants were still on the island, still pumping what appeared to be water out of the ocean into a tank. The U.S. submarine launched a landing vessel on the island with a combat team of U.S. Navy personnel. Now, these U.S. Navy personnel that went to the island were armed with M16 rifles. It was a combat team, a landing force of Navy personnel uh, trained in combat. But there's no record of what transpired between the U.S. Navy personnel and the entities or the UFO. French personnel related that some sort of communications occurred, but they were not able to explain it. The U.S. Navy personnel returned to the submarine, leaving the UFO and and the occupants on the island. Radio communications with the submarine by the French settlement simply stated the UFO will leave soon. The occupants are non-hostile. So what does that mean? That means the United States Navy personnel had contact, had some form of communications with these extraterrestrials. Uh, I don't know what that communication was. It was never reported any document. Uh, This uh, incident was classified for many, many, many years until a French journalist uh, in 2015 told a story uh, to some colleagues about this incident. A further investigation revealed when the UFO flew away from the island, a beam of light struck a building near the port destroying the building. Now, why did a hostile action occur by or from these ETs? The building didn't contain anything but some uh, supplies, some uh, relatively uh, simple supplies uh, that were uh, stored in this building. The UFO immediately submerged into the bay, directly near the U.S. submarine. The submarine tracked the UFO down to a depth of 1,200 feet. The UFO would then resurface in the bay, causing huge waves of water crushing against the shore of the port and against the U.S. submarine. The United States Navy classifies the depth that U.S. submarines can attain. But if you, if you just simply Google how deep a submarine can go, they can go about 3,000 feet. And I'm not giving away any secrets because that's what the internet says. I don't really know what depth a submarine can go, but a submarine could go at least 1,200 feet. Now, this is 1981, and we're talking about uh, 1950s, 60s, and 70s era uh, built submarines. They probably couldn't go as deep as, as the submarines built today could go. A second U.S. submarine arrived in the port area. It was believed to be the USS Queen Fish. A short time later, a USS destroyer arrived in the area. Destroyer was ordered by Pacific Fleet Headquarters at Pearl Harbor to disable the UFO. Why did 
the United States Navy personnel have a communications with these ETs, and now they're showing hostilities against a USS submarine and a USS surface ship, a destroyer. Now, no one has ever mentioned that these USS submarines had nuclear weapons on board, but most submarines <coughs> operating in remote areas were fully equipped with armament. Now, I don't know, I personally don't know, and there was nothing ever written anything I read about nuclear weapons, but we could surmise that they probably did have some uh, nuclear weapons on board. But they certainly had a defense mechanism, such as torpedoes, that they could fire uh, to defend themselves. Now, the USS destroyers that arrived in scene, they certainly had armament. They had the ability to drop depth charges, missiles and rockets, and maybe even nuclear weapons. Now, USS Destroyer had, was able to launch helicopters also, uh, but no, it, they weren't uh, uh, aircraft carriers because so they didn't have any kind of aircrafts on board. The USS uh, Destroyer and the submarine were ordered by Pacific Fleet Headquarters to disable the UFO. The destroyer deployed depth charges in the area for over six hours. The USS submarine fired non-nuclear torpedoes at the UFO. On November 14th, 1981, the UFO surfaced heavily damaged. Now, obviously, our armament, our explosives, were able to disable this UFO. From November 15th, to December 19th, a recovery operation took place in the Kerguelen Harbor. Now, that meant a number of other Navy ships arrived over a period of time, uh, over a period of over a month, to salvage this UFO from the harbor of Kerguelen Island. The U.S. Navy salvage ship recovered the UFO with two occupants. The salvage ship docked in Perth, Australia. Now, U.S. Na Navy's uh, salvage ships are quite huge. Uh, they can uh, salvage submarines from the bottom of the ocean or any other objects. A U.S. Air Force C-141 cargo aircraft picked up the op occupants and flew them to Groom Lake Complex Nellis Test and Training Range. Now, a C-141 cargo plane is quite a huge cargo plane, probably one of the largest cargo planes the Air Force had in that time frame, in the 1980s. And of course, anything dealing with UFOs or extraterrestrials were all transported to Area 51. The U.S. salvage ship sailed to Long Beach Navy Yard on the uh, west coast of the United States and unloaded the UFO craft, which was eventually transported to Area 51. This incident was recorded in a number of U.S. government classified reports. A retired U.S. Navy commander gave a briefing on this incident at a UFO convention in Laughlin in 1995. He didn't disclose locations at all. He didn't ever mention Kerguelen. He didn't mention Australia. He didn't mention Alice Springs. He just mentioned that the incident happened, a recovery operation. There are several parts of this case that refers to the UFOs as flying from the South Pole, although that has never been proven. Now, there are so many stories out there about what is at 
the South Pole. Is there an alien base inside Antarctica or underground Antarctica? We don't know. I don't know. I've never read anything about it. I know there's a lot of UFO researchers out there who are talking about an underground base in Antarctica. Um, hundreds of feet and some even talking about miles under the ice. That's a possibility. There's been a lot of UFO activity seen coming from Antarctica. Now this incident in Kerguelen Island might have been the first time that we could we could prove that these UFOs came from Antarctica. And one of them, of course, landed near Kerguelen Island in the Indian Ocean. So I hope the listeners and the viewers will appreciate this incident and do your own research on it. Google it. Uh, listen to other researchers and read about this. That concludes my presentation on the Kerguelen Island incident. Thank you. This is Richard Doty. Until next time.